This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time. It is a Tuesday, the twenty-first of May. I do hope that you've had yourself a great day so far. If not, don't worry. We are here to turn those frowns upside down with some African news. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, where we always give you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And what a beautiful day it is outside. I do hope that it is the same wherever you are. We are available online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi. In studio with me, I do have Onilinsinsi, Tracy Boomgard and Neto Chimani. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. More than 6.7 million Malawians cast their votes to elect president, lawmakers and councillors. South Africa's governing party announces an overhaul of its parliamentary leadership ahead of the commencement of the sixth parliament. In economics, foreign investors remain enthusiastic about China despite claims by US president that the latest tariffs were causing companies to move production away from China. And in sport, Bafana Bafana coach Stuart Baxter announces his squad for the upcoming 2019 AFCON tournament. Ona hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Have you had yourself a good day so far? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever a good day would mean to one, I, I mean, suppose. I mean, you've been here the entire day. Exa- sure see, when you say the entire day, that should tell you something. Giving everybody in Africa the news that they need to know from an African perspective, surely that should give you the fulfillment <laughs> that you desire. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Uh, time for us now to cross on over to the news desk. Here is Anilinsinsi with your news bulletin. Thank you, Samora. Malawians have gone to the polls, casting their votes to elect a president, member of parliament and local government councillors. President Peter Mutareka is seeking a second term and is being challenged by his deputy, Saulus Chilima, and the leader of the country's biggest opposition party, Lazarus Chakwera. Malawi's Electoral Commission has pledged to deliver a credible election with its chief, Dr. Jane Ansar, asking the 6.9 million registered voters to trust that they will be respected. Sudanese protest leaders are calling on their supporters to prepare for a general strike after talks with the country's military rulers stalled on who will lead an agreed three-year transition. Protest leaders have reached, had reached rather, an agreement with the ruling military council on the other main aspect of the transition. But early on Tuesday, the generals who overthrew veteran President Omar al-Bashir last month refused protesters' demands for a civilian head and a civilian majority for an agreement, an agreed new sovereign council to lead the transition. Protest leader Madani Abbas Madani says the preparations for a general political strike and civil disobedience are already underway. 
Madagascar's anti-corruption agency has begun a legal action against more than half of the country's parliamentary deputies suspected of taking bribes. After a year-long inquiry, a dossier of 79 MPs was sent to the prosecutor's office to begin legal action against the accused. State Prosecutor Advocate Andrew Breitenbach in South Africa has told the Primaritzburg High Court in the KwaZulu-Natal province that part of the reason for the delay on the corruption case against former President Jacob Zuma and French arms company Tails is a request by Zuma's legal team for documents in the state's possession. This as the state started its response to Zuma and Taylor's application for a permanent stay of prosecution due to delay. Breitenberg says before the state could hand over the documents that were requested, it had to consider whether the documents were not privileged. He says this was followed by a responding affidavit by Zuma's lawyer, which the state had to carefully consider. Breitenberg says Zuma's documents were voluminous. Much of the available time of the prosecution team and of the state's legal representatives was spent searching for and considering the documents claimed by Mr. Zuma in his application. This was a lengthy process. Besides searching for and finding them, the state had to determine whether or not to claim privilege in respect of any of them. In the result, the state waived the privilege and provided Mr. Zuma with 163 documents on the 7th of January 2019 and a further 10 documents following further search on the 22nd of January 2019. The second reason is it took longer than the NPA initially anticipated to address the contents of Mr. Zuma's papers and Tales's papers. And lastly, Sri Lanka's police say DNA tests confirmed that the ringleader of the Easter attack, Zaha Hashim, was one of the suicide bombers who blew himself up at the Shangri-La Hotel. Police spokesperson says the government's main forensic laboratory matched Hashim's daughter's DNA with the remains of one of the bombers at the hotel. All seven bombers are believed to be members of Hashim's now-banned national Thohid Jama organization. The Islamic State group later claimed the attack. Channel African News, I'm Onalinzinzi. As more than 6.7 million Malawians cast their votes today to choose president, lawmakers and councillors, there is growing divided opinion on who should govern Malawi after the polls. This comes in the heat of a political debate that youths should be given a chance to rule Malawi. Where voting was delayed, there will be an extension. No serious queries were reported in the course of the day. George Mhango has been to different polling stations and filed the following report. I've been traveling to different uh, polling stations. One of them is um, at, at St. Pius. There are no long queues. People just come in or walk in. They cast their votes off the go. They don't even spend maybe 20 minutes on a queue. Something that is very unique. And uh, with me is a certain lady. Your name and your impression. Uh, my name is Betty Mataka. I'm very impressed with this order that is here. Everything is going on well. Everything is in order. Very, very impressed. No long queues. You just spend five minutes, you've already done everything. I'm very happy about it. The next thing is it's about just to wait for uh, the, the results, what is going to come out. Otherwise, I'm ready for anything. 
were you impressed with the campaign period itself? Very much, very much. These people have campaigned very much. I'm very impressed. And now, what were the things that you were looking into, into somebody else who you voted for, be it maybe for a councillor, MP or a president? Uh, I was looking for somebody who can exactly change a lot of things or improve in our life, in everything. Mainly, um, I was looking at somebody who can see uh, people from the, from the ground to top what is their life of living. Uh, another thing is I want somebody who can say something and the people follow what the, uh, the president has said. Like things, like what I see in uh, most of the things is that people, uh, even they don't want to take the instructions from the, uh, from the topmost uh, presidents. So I'm looking for somebody who can change things in everything. Have most of these campaigns, you know, touched more on issues of women empowerment? No, I haven't been impressed on the uh, issues of women empowerment. And uh, I, don't see, I don't see a lot of uh, women winning this, 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 uh, this campaign because they, they haven't been given enough support from the look of things. Now there's been also talk about maybe issues of youth that uh, the current uh, leadership or, or should, should, should be somewhere somewhere around about maybe 50 or 60, not more than 70 years old in terms of uh, the age for the president. What is your take on this one? Do you think this will also be something that maybe uh, some other characters will be looking forward to? Uh, I don't really think along those lines because uh, people would want to vote for somebody who can help them, not uh, the age itself, but somebody who has got the capability of changing things in everything. Having spoken to this lady, a youngster also did the needful. Uh, my name is Kenneth. Um, I'm a resident of Sochester. My impression of, uh, of these elections, I think uh, the process is so simple. It's not taking that much time of, a, of someone who is working. So it's easy just to come in and vote and proceed with your day-to-day -day business. What were some of the uh, maybe qualities that we're looking for into these uh, the candidates that are contesting, maybe on uh, parliamentary, uh, presidential, and then ward councillorship positions? Uh, on the MP side, we're looking at someone who will have... Uh, who have the heart to help people because we have so many situations where our loads are bad it's like these people when they are voted into power whatever when when their life is good they don't even care what other people are going through so we're looking at a certain candidate who will transform people's lives who will make sure that the development of the people is at his heart and on the cancership because the cancership also has needs to have uh, the great attitude to work together with the, with the MP as such we have to vote for both of them who work together to make a team that will develop our country in a better way. What about uh, the president? Because there has been talk about maybe the, the, the character, the age issues, which have really you know, dominated the public domain in the process of the campaign period itself. What is it that you have to say? Um, on the president's side, unfortunately, we have uh, most of the people who we have as our presidents, most of them, they don't have that much of a vision. Most of them, they don't care what people are going through. A lot of people are suffering right now. A lot of Malayans are suffering. A lot of people are crying. But there are certain people who are just so selfish that all they care is about themselves, about their riches, about them doing well. 
but we are talking of the whole country. So we are looking at a president who will care about these people, who will not sleep, making sure that every Malawian is getting what is his. Not just because you know the president, not, not just because you belong to a particular party, not just because you are from a certain region that makes you to, it becomes a ticket for you to be rich. So we are looking at a president who is going to empower every Malawian, disregard where you're coming from, and we are looking at a president who is going to lift up Malawians according to what the person has achieved. If, for example, if you have done school, a degree, there's no way someone who has a certificate should be getting a lot of millions just because his father or his uncle is from a certain party. It's supposed to, it has to be on merit that what you know is what gives you what you have. So we are looking at that particular president who is going to empower the youth, he's going to empower um, us as Malawians. We should not forget that a lot of percentage of now, we are the U.S. But let's look how the government is looking right now. We have a lot of um, youth who are not yet employed, and yet we have a lot of old people who are still in government, who cannot give way to the youth so that we can empower them. There is quite order in different polling stations. Why? Because we are talking about the introduction of technology such that one would be able to know as to where to cast his or her ballot. And why I'm talking about this, this has not been there previously. And this is something that the Malawi Electoral Commission is being commended for locally and then globally. So one gentleman is also here. First of all, your name and uh, your, your, your overall impression about this year's uh, uh, tripartite elections organization I'm Philip Abraham um, no the process uh, seems to be quite quite good um, though the system is just new in as far as maybe checking your name and uh, your stream that you should cast your vote on much as there is order but there are some people of course which their names uh, are, not, are not still on the law so they still have to check I like when I was coming I met someone come going back because uh, their names were not there so I think they've been told to come some other time so maybe that might have an implication maybe marginally but not, not that not that much but I think the overall position it seems to be uh, a good system seems to be a good process. What is your overall take or the qualities that you are looking for in the process of you casting the ballot? Okay, basically everyone would look for, Malawi is a, a developing country, so everyone at, at the minimum, a bare minimum, would expect to see uh, people that are, are keen to uh, us into development, not just necessarily people who are there for their personal gains and personal interests, because we have seen governments going, governments coming in, but we can't point literally at what development are we seeing. So for me, what I'm looking at, I'm not even going by what they've been saying, or like their ideologies or their, their, their manifesto, because we have seen them showing us a manifesto and they do something different. It's as if the work just... On, based on what is on the ground, not based on, on the ideologies which they have. So those were just some of the views of the people that did cast their vote in the course of today. But uh, what counting is expected to be starting off anytime in different polling stations? George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. 17.15 Central African Time. You are still listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. A quick reminder that if you want to get in contact with us, we do have multiple platforms for you to do that. Email is info at channelafrica.co.za or you can SMS us on plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven or tweet us at channelafrica1. And who knows, if you go onto Twitter and follow us, we might just follow you back. South Africa's ruling African National Congress announced an overhaul of its parliamentary leadership. Balegambete is out as National Assembly Speaker and is replaced by Tandi Mudise, who will run, uh, who will in turn 
be replaced by Amos Mosondo as chairperson of the National Council of Provinces. Jackson Mtembo has been replaced by Pemi Machodina as ANC chief whip in parliament. Despite being implicated in allegations of corruption, Nomvula Makonyane is the national legislature is in the national legislature. She will take over from Cedric Frolic as chair of chairs. In her new position, she will be in charge of the work of committees and also preside over some sittings of the National Assembly. Political analyst Professor Dirk Kotzer starts by telling us what Tandi Mudise brings to the speaker role. Well, she has quite a lot of experience as the chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, the second House of Parliament, um, and she chaired, uh, co-chaired many of the joint meetings of Parliament with the outgoing speaker, uh, Baleka and Betty. So she has a lot of experience of, of chairing major sessions of Parliament, um, and, if, and she was very effective, or has been up to now, and I think this is, should not be seen as a shock or a surprise. Um, there were some other persons who equally well chaired sessions uh, of committees of parliament, and but I think in her case uh, she has the background in order to, to do it successfully. Now, when we look at the National Assembly and how in uh, the past few years uh, um, it hasn't been without incident, uh, quite a lot of activity happening there. Do you believe that uh, she may be able to bring uh, some sense of order that we haven't been able to see in the past? I think she's more uh, able to to chair uh, sessions, which become sometimes difficult to do. Um, In the past year, it has been much easier in in the National Assembly. There were not really walkouts by especially economic freedom fighters, um, and it was much easier to to chair the sessions then while President Zuma was still um, in the National Assembly or appeared there uh, for question time and other speeches when it was really difficult um, in order to keep uh, control over the proceedings. So I think uh, if we look likely at what the, the style of debate and the style of conduct in, in the National Assembly, it's much easier. So I think she will not have real serious problems in order to fulfill her role as speaker. The, the role of speaker it is much more than just chairing the plenary sessions. She is, in a sense, the CEO of, um, of Parliament, um, which means that her office is responsible for, for the agendas, um, for the management of Parliament, um, and it is quite a, has become quite a big operation. There are so many uh, committee meetings that are taking place, plus the, the plenary sessions are, are becoming quite complex. We have seen that there is now 14 parties in Parliament, and each one of them must have an opportunity to be able to participate in their debates. So it is a task uh, for the office of the speaker to to be able to manage all of this. Now, when we look at the changes that have uh, uh, been made, um, uh, could we look at this as an indication of uh, President Ramaphosa's plans when it comes to uh, choosing his cabinet as well? Yes, it does have an impact on it. Uh, First of all, what you've mentioned in the introduction, one of the ministers, Nabula Mokunyani, is going to become the chair of, of chairs. Um, and who has been a person very close to President uh, Zuma, uh, former President Zuma, obviously is now not anymore uh, going to, to, to the cabinet, and that is very clear from this announcement, um, which is already an indication that President Ramaphosa uh, is making some moves in order to consolidate his own supporters within the cabinet. Um, 
We've seen also with it the list of, of candidates that were submitted that uh, three of them, uh, three of the, the current ministers are too low on the list, so they won't be able to continue, and two of the other ministers have been completely excluded, together with quite a number of deputy ministers. Um, so even without seeing the or, or hearing the announcement of President Ramaphosa, and that will happen by the, the weekend or early next week, um, we already know about quite a number of members who won't be able to continue in the cabinet. Let's look at the challenges, uh, Prof, that uh, President Ramaphosa has um, uh, uh, with his new cabinet. Uh, what would you highlight those as? Well, the first one is his promise to reduce the size of the cabinet. Um, at the moment, the cabinet consists of 35 ministers and almost the same number of deputy ministers. So it's, it's a group of more than 70 members. Um, he promised in his first State of the Nation address that he's going to reduce the size of that. Um, and so we can expect that, that that will most possibly happen. However, to reduce the size of the cabinet does not mean that you reduce the number of government departments. Um, and that is really where the bulk of the work has to, to be done in order to rationalize the, the public sector in general, the public service. Um, but that's a much more uh, complicated task than simply reducing the number of ministers. Mm. So that, I would say, is one of the, the longer-term challenges of, of President Ramaphosa. Sure. Um, what is, is also an, a challenge is, is how to, you know, he, he, he presents his, his vision of the ANC as one of renewal of the so-called new dawn. Um, which means that it is actually to unify the ANC since it started to form co- uh, factions around about 2005, with when President, or then Deputy President um, Zuma was dismissed by President Mbeki. Then the ANC's National Conference in 2007 really deepened that polarization. And that was Professor Dirk Kotzer, Professor in Political Sciences at the University of South Africa, on the line talking to Zikonami. So some breaking news, which we are seeing all around South Africa at the moment. Balegambete and Malusi Kikaba have withdrawn their names from the ANC MP list. Interesting times in South African politics. Uh, but anyway, you are still listening to Africa Digest with myself, Samora Mangesi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Moving on to our neighbor Zimbabwe right now, where Zimbabwe will subsidize public transport and cut fuel duties by more than half as it tries to ease the impact of rampant inflation on its poorest citizens. This was announced by the country's Secretary for Finance and Economic Development, George Govmatanga. The measure will be introduced as the country's central bank and finance minister have injected 500 million U.S. dollars to improve the liquidity of the foreign exchange interbank market. 
The subsidy comes amid a massive fuel price hike, which came into effect after the central bank said it would no longer provide fuel dealers with funding for petrol as well as diesel. For more on the subsidy and its potential economic implications, Channel Africa spoke to Zimbabwean economist uh, Michelina Shindia, who says that the introduction of the subsidy is a good idea, but its full implementation might be hampered as government doesn't have enough capacity to meet the needs of the people. The government has subsidized um, Zubco, uh, the passenger company, and cut down prices by 50%. But at the same time, it does not have the capacity to actually meet the needs. Um, and Zubco was actually recently resuscitated as it had, been, um, it had been out of business for a number of years after the economic demise of the country, and they never had the capacity. So it is a good idea to bring this um, to subsidize the transportation system, but they don't have the capacity to meet the actual needs of the people, especially with the recent rise in fuel prices that actually happened today. Uh, the price of fuel went up from $3.37 to $4.97. And I don't know how long they can actually keep up with that uh, subsidized price of $0.50 cents, uh, per 30 kilometers, which they introduced today. When we look at the country's uh, rampant inflation, you know, it's, it's also seen uh, fuel price increases after the central bank said it would no longer be providing um, a dealers uh, uh, with funding. These increases will surely hit consumers' pockets. It's hard. Let's talk a little bit about that. All right. So um, as with effect from today, the government actually removed the one-to-one foreign currency exchange rate for the procurement of fuel by oil and marketing companies, right, which will result in the interbank market being used. And as a result of that already, the interbank market um, yesterday was at the rate of one uh, RTGS dollar. is uh, It was about 3.3 US dollars. And with the... As of today, after the announcement of the removal of the one-to-one foreign currency exchange rate, the interbank market rate has already shot up to close to five, five one RTGS dollars to five US dollars, and this is going to affect a lot of people. The price of fuel has already risen from three dollars and thirty-seven cents to four dollars and ninety-seven cents, so it's going to affect a lot of people. Now, are fuel importers, Michelina, still getting their currency from the central bank, or are they now uh, buying it on the interbank market? They no longer getting it at the special rate of one is to one from the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. They now have to also purchase it on on the interbank market at the rate that has been decided by market forces in the country at the time. They have introduced this because um, the government is working on making the market more efficient and allowing individuals to readily access a foreign market. And also previously there had been um, issues with fuel or fuel buyers and oil marketing companies purchasing, taking advantage of market, um, arbitraging the market and taking advantage of certain opportunities that they may have and market inefficiencies. And uh, just finally, Zimbabwe's finance minister, uh, Tulingube, announced the, the rebasing of the economy last week. Now, this, of course, followed the adoption of the new currency earlier this year. Has this move had a positive impact in terms of boosting the economy at all? It hasn't really had a positive impact. Um, it's pretty ever since his announcement, things have gone pretty downhill. The the power market has been flourishing, and the rate has been fluctuating um, a lot lately. It's been it had got it started initially at about 
one RTGS dollars to about two, two US dollars, and it shot up and it's currently at five. There have been shortages of fuel, and as of late, we've had a lot of power cuts and load shedding um, due to us not being able to meet the needs of, of the demand with electricity. So it really hasn't had much of a, a, a positive effect. Although he had insinuated when he released the budget that we were going to have uh, austerity measures in order to, to prosper in the future and that in the present moment we're going to have to, to really feel the pinch before things start getting any better. So he's insinuating that this is what we have to go through and things will be hard for, for quite some time before they get any better. And that was Michelina Shindia, Zimbabwean economist, talking to Zikonomis so or 1728 Central African time. After this, we're going to be going to the news headlines and then we have an interesting conversation with regards to Google and Huawei. <laughs> Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. SABC News mobile app is your one-stop digital portal to all the news you need. Stay connected with the latest and breaking stories. Watch the SABC News channel along with clips and live streams of all the big news events and listen to all the SABC radio stations live, including podcasts and much more. Simply download the SABC News app to your Android or iOS device from either the Play Store or the App Store. SABC News, independent, impartial. All right, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk right now. Here is Onelin Sinzi with your 17.30 Central African Time news headlines. While the voting process has so far been peaceful and relatively smooth in Malawi, there have been a few anomalies that have been registered and acknowledged by the electoral authorities. Madagascar's anti-corruption agency has begun legal action against more than half of the country's parliamentary deputies and Sudanese protest leaders, calling on their supporters to prepare for a general strike. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Sinzi. Moving on to something that has been on everybody's lips, especially on social media. The founder of the Chinese telecoms giant Huawei has said that uh, the confrontation with the United States has, uh, was inevitable because his company's global ambitions threatened U.S. interests. 
uh, Ren Zengfei told Chinese media that Huawei was already prepared for U.S. retaliation. This is in light of ongoing trade warfare between the United States and China. The biggest question is how is this saga going to affect uh, Huawei users on the African continent? And to answer this and other questions, we're now joined on the line by a member of our family, tech enthusiast, uh, producer and anchor of television program network, Spumelele Zondi. Hello, Buti, how are you? I'm all right. How are you, Samora? I'm very well, thank you. We have been seeing a lot of people going uh, crazy with regards to this thing. Huawei has been on the lips of a lot of people. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it on Facebook. Perhaps for the benefit of our listeners, can you take us back to the background of the whole Huawei-Google saga? Well, it's pretty much a spat between um, America and China. Um, it has been a war of the two biggest economies um, in the world. And um, Huawei is, let's start with the Chinese economy, which is said to overtake the American economy in terms of size um, in 2020, some say. Um, and then... Um, it, it started with a Donald Trump, um, the American president, saying he's uh, putting certain restrictions on Chinese companies like Xiaomi um, and Huawei. You'd remember that there was an, an, an executive um, from Huawei who was arrested in um, Canada earlier this year with Canada saying that they were going to deport her to, um, to the United States of America. So it, it's been a spat that's been going on for um, quite a while now. Um, so this is the biggest thing because what happened here is that Google, which owns Android, was ordered by the American government to kick um, Huawei out of, um, of Android. And it's not just Google, by the way. It's a lot of companies that now can't do business um, with Huawei. Um, and they include Facebook. Um, they include Pinterest and other companies that have been doing business with Huawei. Um, the biggest thing here is that Huawei has been the fastest growing uh, smartphone manufacturer. Of course. Um, Apple, which um, is American, has been dropping at a fast rate to the point that um, Apple earlier this year even said that they were sitting Apple prices. Um, so this could possibly mean that Apple could be on the rise again because people who had stopped buying Apple products and had decided that they would instead spend their money on Huawei might go back if Huawei is no longer Android. Now let's talk about the impact that the contract termination between Google and Huawei is going to have on current users. Like we've said, there's been an upsurge in terms of people who have been using Huawei. We've seen a lot of people all around uh, Africa talking about the differences, b- differences between uh, Apple and, uh, and Huawei, more especially with the P30. Uh, what is this going to mean for the Huawei users? The thing is, Huawei became popular for many reasons. Um, some people love the camera of the high-end devices, but they also make other low-end devices. You think about um, the 500 Rand, 600 Rand smartphones, for example, which Apple does not make um, because Apple is on the high-end. Um, and that's why the African market has been so important for Huawei because they could, um, instead of buying the P-series or um, the Mate series, which would be in the regions of 15,000 um, all the way up to 30,000, um, uh, Rand, uh, people could also buy the 500 Rand phones. And if it's no longer Android, that means a lot of Africans who had access to Android devices, um, a 
brilliant operating system, the most popular in Africa, um, which is used by 84% of Africans, will no longer have access to um, that Android uh, to that Android operating system that costs 500 and six, or 600 rand, which they can afford. Um, that's pretty much um, the problem, which means then they will not probably be able to do what they could uh, previously do, now, um, th- such as uh, banking and other things. Now, Spamilele, there's been talk about a backup operating system, um, and I, I also understand that the contract has been extended by a further three months. Does this give Huawei enough time to make sure that this uh, operating system that they supposedly might have as a backup to, to make sure that it's uh, you know, good for, for the public? Uh, three months is not enough time, but uh, I think what America is doing there is that they are giving time to American companies that are doing business with Huawei. Because if you are doing business with Huawei and then suddenly um, there was a deal pending that would have uh, been good, you might have been good for you. You might actually lose some money as an American company. Um, but it also buys Huawei some time because the way it seemed yesterday is that this was um, something that was immediate, um, which then would mean that uh, for any phone that Huawei wants to release later on this year, they would not be able to use um, to use Android as an operating system. Um, but it, it sort of buys them time to figure out what to do. Um, yes, they have been working on an operating system which they um, which didn't have a name. Um, they've been working on it since 2012, but yesterday they did release that the name is Hong Meng, um, the name of that operating system. Not much is known about uh, Hong Meng, um, but yeah, it, it, it buys them time to probably sort of fix things um, a little bit with Hong Meng and figure out what it's going to look like and what it's going to be. The problem with this is that you've also said that there were multiple companies that were working with uh, Huawei in terms of, you know, the, w- with, with their devices. Are they going to be, I mean, they might have the, the operating system, but what about those little uh, comforts that the customers had? For instance, you know. Like the Play Store. Yes, those kind of things. Um, do, you, do you think that they're actually going to lose people if they don't have those kind of things? Or do you think that actually mostly people in Africa especially are looking to just use the phone for what it's meant to be used for? Well, that's something that's um, important because what Android does is that there are third parties that also allow people to um, use apps like ShareIt. Um, you need a Play Store uh, or you need an App Store um, to buy certain apps like ShareIt um, where you can then also download things like WhatsApp, which is really popular on the African continent. Um, or you can download things like um, Twitter and Facebook. Um, we know that there have been um, revolutions across the African continent that are uh, purely planned on social media, whether it's WhatsApp or Twitter. Uh, um, and, and it's been an important tool for democracies. So it blocks you from accessing those tools, yes, which means an, a, a, an app store is important. Um, and by them being kicked out of um, Android or being blocked from doing business with American companies, that means they also don't have access to the Google Play Store as well. Um, so what's come out as well is that Huawei has been in conversation with certain app um, developers um, who could possibly help them create their own Play Store. And they started approaching them in 2018 in anticipation that something like this um, might happen because there has been a spat um, 
between them and the American President Donald Trump. Um, so, yes, let's see how fast they move on that. And um, the three-month uh, grace period might actually give them time to work on that a little bit. Um, and the thing is, um, they probably can pull it off. They have the resources. They are really huge. They have backing of the Chinese government. So it's something that possibly can actually really happen um, and possibly creates diversity as well because um, this has shown is that um, there, aren't, there isn't diversity on operating systems. Android is used by 84% of Africans. iOS, 8% of Africans. Internationally, Apple is the uh, uh, biggest uh, distributor of mobile phones. Um, Huawei um, became second last year overtaking Samsung, but Samsung and Huawei are both Android. So it pretty much has been iOS and Android, and maybe diversity is actually needed. And I, I'm sure um, other developers might think that, well, maybe let's go with Huawei to create that diversity because what just happened might happen to all other companies, especially those that are, are not American, which could be LG, which could be um, Samsung, which are bought from South Korea, mm-hmm. or another uh, Chinese company, which is Xiaomi. Pumalele, I have two yes or no questions for you, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, there's a claim that the war with Huawei is about national security. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. In the meantime, should we go ahead with purchasing Huawei products, or does one uh, wait and see? Um, the products that are in the market at the moment should be fine. You'll still be able to upgrade to whichever latest um, Android uh, operating system gets released at, at whichever point. But the ones that are going to be released later in the year, you might not get um, Android. So, yes, if you want to purchase one today or tomorrow, you'll be fine. All right. Uh, Spumilele, thank you very much for joining us on the line and letting us know uh, what is happening with regards to Huawei and Google. Hopefully you will come around and you'll see us sometime very, very soon. I will. Awesome. That is Pamela Zondi, tech enthusiast, producer and presenter of television tech program called Network. Moving on right now, African researchers and forest conservatists from the African continent are meeting in Nairobi, Kenya to review and discuss challenges that are affecting the African forest and how governments and the private sector could work together to minimize the effects. Speaking during the opening of the four-day workshop to celebrate a decade of active service of the African Forest Forum, the AFF, Chief Executive Officer Prof. Godwin Kowero says to achieve this strengthening the research infrastructure and capacity in afforestation uh, in Africa in relation to climate change through policy formulation will and expertise may help change the trend. Our reporter Gabriel Zakaria reports from Nairobi. More than 100 participants from African continent and beyond are meeting in Nairobi, Kenya to discuss and find solutions from critical questions and renewed call for governments, industry and communities to prioritize conservation of forest ecosystems that are facing myriad threats in the continent. Among the key factors emerge from the workshop fraternity is lack of competent forest seed producers, climate change and illegal forest produce trade just to mention a few. Professor Godwin Kowero, the AFF CEO, explains. Our concern on, uh, about this was, do we have enough planting material on this continent, even to meet our own domestic needs? So we mapped the whole continent uh, to find out the capacity that exists on the continent in terms of uh, production of seeds and also seedlings uh, for planting. Briefly, some countries have good capacity, but the majority of them, they don't have the capacity to meet their own requirements for 
planting material. We also looked at the issue of climate change. Climate change comes with uh, challenges and also comes with opportunities, both to the forests and trees themselves and the people who depend on these resources. So um, when we started working on this, um, there was a request for us because uh, there, there was trade, booming trade at that time in forest carbon trade. For many years, Tanzania has been importing quality seeds from Zimbabwe and South Africa due to lack of competent forty seed producers. But now, through the Agriculture Institute of Sokoinesua, the researchers are working day and night to solve the problem. Professor Romanus Ishengoma tells me. challenge for quality seed is big, is there. And to that effect, Tanzania has been importing seed from Zimbabwe and from South Africa. Uh, Tanzania government through the Tanzania Forest Fund has invested substantially into the Tanzania Seed Center. We put in equipment to process seed. We have put in money to establish new seed orchards. So in three, four years, Tanzania will be exporting seed. Researchers and experts have triggered sharp appeals by conservationists calling on African governments to put in place working policy frameworks to curb the effects of climate change, lest the continent is set to suffer serious economic costs. Gideon Gadara is the conservation secretary from the Kenyan Ministry of Environment and Forestry. Here he says... We are estimating that we need 1.8 billion seeds, quality seedlings in this country by 2022 to be able to increase the tree cover to 10 to 10%. And therefore the work that uh, AFM is also promoting in terms of quality jam plus how we can share this information is going to be very important because we're not only saying that we plant seedlings but we're also saying the quality and the growth, the successful survival of the work of AFF together with the ministry and together with the above information which has been generated by AFF will be of tremendous input in supporting the implementation of the strategy. We are therefore grateful for the help and the work in terms of promoting partnership engaged, including development of African common position on various issues as an example in addition to the information generated by AFF. Similarly, scholars suggest that synergies between conservationists and the academia are needed to intensify information dissemination across the continents, vast population and stakeholders in the forest sector to see the continent's natural resources. Reporting for Channel Africa in Nairobi, Kenya, this is Gabriel Zakaria. All right, it's time for us to cross on over to the money desk right now. Here is Tracy Boomgard with your latest economics news. Thank you, Samora. United Kingdom's business minister, Andrew Stephenson, has blamed the global economic situation for the challenge to the UK steel industry. He says the British government will leave no stone unturned to help the country's steel industry. 
The country's second largest steel producer finds itself on the brink of administration as it seeks funding from the British government to help it address Brexit-related issues. At least 24,000 jobs are at risk if funding is not forthcoming. Humotsu Mopulani reports. The leader of Britain's opposition Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, has called on the government to secure the long-term future for British steel. Corbyn warned that it would be devastating for thousands of jobs. British steel requires an emergency 38 million US dollars to see it not go under administration. Should the company not find the funding at Tuesday's governmental meeting, it will collapse within 48 hours. South Africa's platinum producer Lonman has started the process of laying off 4,100 employees from six old mines that have run out of commercially viable ore. The company announced in 2017 that they would retrench 12,600 workers over a three-year period. Lubuwani Mamburu is the spokesperson from the National Union of Mine Workers. It is true that Lonmin has issued Section 189 to retrench close to 4,000 workers. From yesterday, those who wanted to take a voluntary separation package have been given an opportunity until the 21st of June. As the National Union of Mine Workers, we are engaging with the company to see if there can be avoided measures. We are worried about these retrenchments at Lonmin. As you know, that there is a possible measure between Lonmin and Sivanya still water and it still needs to be confirmed by the Competition Commission. Zimbabwe will subsidize public transport and cut fuel duties by more than half as it tries to ease the impact of rampant inflation on its poorest citizens. This was announced by the country's Secretary for Finance and Economic Development. The subsidy comes amid a massive fuel price hike which came into effect after the central bank said it would no longer provide fuel dealers with funding for petrol and diesel. Zimbabwean economist Michelina Chindia says the subsidy is a good idea, but it will be difficult to implement it as government doesn't have enough capacity to meet the needs of the people. The government has subsidized um, Zubco, uh, the passenger company, and cut down prices by 50%. But at the same time, it does not have the capacity to actually meet the needs. Um, and Zubco was actually recently resuscitated as it had, been, um, it had been out of business for a number of years after the economic demise of the country, and they never had the capacity. So it is a good idea to bring this um, to subsidize the transportation system, but they don't have the capacity to meet the actual needs of the people, especially with the recent rise in fuel prices that actually happened today. Uh, the price of fuel went up from $3.37 to $4.97. And I don't know how long they can actually keep up with that uh, subsidized price of $0.50 cents, uh, per 30 kilometers, which they introduced today. The wife of one of the victims in a Boeing 737 crash in Ethiopia has filed a U.S. lawsuit against Boeing for $276 million in damages. 157 people lost their lives when the Ethiopian Airlines flight crashed near Addis Ababa in March. Boeing has been accused of knowingly endangering the passengers of its 737 MAX planes. British celebrity chef Jamie Oliver's UK restaurant business has been put into administration. The international franchise business will, however, not be affected. The move threatens over 1,000 job losses. In a statement, the Jamie Oliver Group says it was saddened by the outcome and thanks staff and suppliers for their continued support over the past decade. The US dollar is trading at 358.39 Nigerian Naira, 
10.61 Botswana Pula at 100.13 Kenyan Shilling and at 13.77 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.09 Brazilian Hail, 64.54 Russian Ruble, 69.67 Indian Rupee, 6.93 Chinese Yuan and at 14.38 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 78 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,275 and platinum at $812 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $72.17 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Right now, it's time for us to cross on over to the sports desk. Here's Neto Chimani. Thank you, Samara. A very good afternoon to you all, sport fans. Starting off with football news. Bafana Bafana coach Stuart Baxter has announced his squad for the upcoming 2019 Africa Cup of Nations AFCON tournament. The following players will be in Group D that has been termed the Group of Death, which comprise of Morocco, Ivory Coast and Namibia. So the squad, the three goalkeepers, Darren Keat, Roman Williams, Bruce Pavuma. Defensive players, Daniel Cardoso, Rivaldo Cotzia, Rama Maclele, uh, Tulani Klatswayo, Innocent Maela, Cecil Clancy, Rutland Kunazi, and uh, Tami Mkise. Midfield players, Bongoni Zungu, Tompo Kakana, Dean Furman, Kama Mokocho, Sugar Mabunda, Tulani Serrero, Tembi Lorch, Temeswani, Fortune Makaringe, Ben Matwari, Keegan Dolly. Front players, Lebo Matiba, Percy Tau, Lars Veldik, Lebo Mabui, Svisiso Bilakasi, Kermit Erasmus. The two players that passport pending is Nicola Tavares and Joel Untersee, both of which, if they get passports, will attach themselves to that, that squad in Joburg. And we'll find out if they are then of the right material. Are they experienced enough? Do they know how we play? Can they blend with the team? All those, all of those questions. And uh, we will make that decision. And the squad will be cut to 23 before then departing to a place where we will play two games before then dropping into Egypt and having the final preparations there. The surprise selection is that of Cape Town City striker Kemit Erasmus, who missed all the qualifiers. The Bafana coach Stuart Baxter explains why he brought Kemit Erasmus back into the Bafana fold. We've selected him as being one of the players that, you know, we've got a, a nice combination of uh, Lebo Matiba and Percy Tau. And what we're looking at is profiling our players. So Kermit, Kermit can play both of those roles. He can play a nine or he can play as the shadow striker, as can Lebo Mabui. And that's why with Lars Veldvik, he's also a nine. He's the, he's the one that can play there. We do have others, and 
we're just profiling the players. So Kermit's done well. He's got himself back in the frame. And without promising him anything, he's done well enough to get himself back into the pack. About Kerian football players and fans has capsized in Lake Albert in western Uganda. The passengers were travelling from Fofo in Hoyimo district to neighbouring Runga to play friendly matches for both men and women. Channel Africa's Sam Mboza reports. Fofo football club fans and the community in Busaruka sub-county of Hoima district at the border of Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo are mourning the death of their beloved football players and fans who died on Sunday after the boat they were traveling in capsized in the Lift Valley Lake Albert. The men and women football teams of Fofo community were traveling to Lunga sub-county for a friendly game against Lunga FC. Head coach Majidu Mayaya and women team goalkeeper Win Orange's bodies were the first to be retrieved on Sunday before 14 more bodies were retrieved by the police and fishermen on Monday. Fofo Village local council chairperson Baker again says the boat was overloaded when it capsized a few meters to its destination. The number of people was too big. The boat was small in size. It is fishing boat. It is not even for the transport. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto N-E-T-O Chamani. This is Africa Digest. Well, it's time for us to call it for this hour. Be sure to join us again later on in the evening from 1900 hours where we'll be available on www.channelafrica.co.za as well as on the DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. But for now, from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Leander Maumet, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, as well as the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you so much for listening. For comments on the show, do send us an email. That is info at channelafrica.co.za or send us an SMS to plus two seven. You can also tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Taking us to the top of the hour is Silale by Trezor featuring The Soil. We'll see you later. Goodbye.